you looking for jh um <laughs> i was i was actually looking for something completely unrelated to anything right, at all okay. to what we're doing <laughs> i was looking for some audio tape so i've got to fix the esky because the handle on the esky is is broken right and of course tomorrow we embark well tomorrow our time um a few weeks ago uh, a few weeks ago <laughs> right. um uh we embark on our road trip so i'm just where's where's my Where's my 160 mile an hour tape that's also good as audio tape and everything like that? But hey, everybody, welcome to the Home Plus Life podcast. I am your host, JH, here with your other host, Sian. How you doing? Hi, good. I was just watching you. Yeah, I was. I was you were like pointing at me and then you're looking around. And I wasn't pointing at you. But it was, was like you were doing balance. a checklist. I was, I was counterbalancing myself and... Yeah. What in case something jumped out to bite you? Look, I'm a I'm a <laughs> like big your unit that you're looking for. I'm, I'm a big unit and I'm tall and and you know you've got to be careful not to overbalance and and I think I'll, everyone should actually take that of not overbalancing. Yeah, I'm, I'm too like heavy everyone though. can. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's not good. It's not good. Okay, it's not good. so uh, this uh, this um, session we're going to be talking about Queensland doubles first home. Owner grants. Yes. And then we're going to be diving into making chili salts at home. I do like making chili salts. Well, you can't go, ooh, you're the one that made the run sheet. Yeah, I know. And you're but, the one that actually but, does them. Yeah, but I'm excited <laughs> to talk about it. Like, right, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. <laughs> That's like giving yourself a high five or just liking well, someone's your own Someone's got to do it. Really. Someone's got to do it, right? Like, someone's got to like it, even if it is only me. Yeah. That's fine. All right. So, um, Shall we dive? Well, look, I think, you know, it's it's super important that we, we talk about this and it all ties into check my house price, of course, mm-hmm. check my house price sponsors the show. But look, the, the whole reason that I founded check my house price back in 2011 was to be able to provide exactly what we're doing on this podcast, provide information to homeowners so that they're informed as best as they possibly can be when it comes time to make a decision as do we sell? Do we stay? Do we go? You know, what are we doing? What's the market doing? And it's still one of the reasons why today, what are we, 12 years on, nearly 13 years on, that we still use humans to provide the reports because as much as AI is amazing, and I love AI, uh, it, it's operating off old information, you know, that's often three, six months old. Uh, whereas humans, the humans we use to create the reports, they're there, they're working in the industry, they're on the front lines every single day. And they're also local to you They're as local, well. and so they're getting the information as it happens. They know what's happening, which means that they're able to provide the most accurate home house price reports mm. going, yeah, um, which is awesome, and it's completely free. So, you know, if, if you are sitting there thinking, going, do we stay, do we go, absolutely jump on to checkmyhouseprice.com.au or .co.nz and get yourself a free house price report. And look. Knowledge is power. Knowledge is power. Make sure that you're fully informed, particularly in this market, which is insane. And trying to deal with a housing crisis 
that was of the government's own making, um, which, of course, brings us nicely to the segue of Queensland. Anastasia Palaget has announced they're doubling the first homeowner grant for Queenslanders, taking it from fifteen to 30000 Because that solves the problem. Look, I'm, I, I want to say I'm hesitant to just absolutely rip on anything the government does that ostensibly is about addressing the housing crisis. It's, it's not actually addressing it. It's going, let's put more pressure on the front end. Yeah, and, and that's... When it's already nosediving, mind you. Well, the, the pressure, <laughs> like, the pre- like it's a pressure cooker. Like we're skyrocketing here. And look, I don't want to criticise the fact that they've doubled the first home buyers grant. Right, any help for first home buyers is fantastic. It is, but dressing this up as a way of solving the housing crisis in in it. Queensland or in Australia is a political stunt. Yeah, and that is my issue with it here. Like, look, hundred percent, give first home buyers that, give them forty five grand, but make sure you've got the infrastructure to support it. Because what this is going to do is it's going to increase demand mm. in the market, which is only going to drive prices up. Mm. which is going to worsen the crisis mm. because the core problem is we don't have enough houses. And look, I've read a lot of articles. We also that, don't have enough people in order to build said houses. Well, and, and this is it. This is it, right? Did you know? Just just random fact that I came across as I'm reading and I'm, I'm making sure that, you know, my stance on this is still accurate, that the problem is still that we don't have enough supply to meet demand, mm-hmm. you know, and, and look, I'm always looking at the okay, data. Okay, so let me know. So, random fact I came across, in the past, in the past, we have built as many as 200,000 homes a year in Australia. That's not a lot. In it's, a- it's not a lot, but when you consider that we're averaging 120 to 130,000 homes over the last few years, and yet we have had in the past capacity to build 200,000 homes, something's not right. Yeah, we're something's we're not, not right. building to what our previous capacity was, right? And, and look... I get it's a drop in the ocean. We've talked about it on previous episodes. We need about an extra 300,000 homes a year, right, to just accommodate the influx of immigration mm. and population growth. Like, we, we probably need three fifty to 400,000 homes a year yeah. to cope with population growth from all sources. Immigration, babies, the work, right? And yet we're building 120 to 130. That's shit. It, look, it, it absolutely is. And so now what the Palaszczuk government has done in Queensland has said, we're going to double the first home buyer's grant which increases, so people who weren't available, able to be in the market because of pricing and all that, are now able to be in the market, which increases demand, but they haven't done anything to actually to increase the infrastructure of supply. supply. Now, traditionally what we've seen, when they increase the first home buyer's grant and the first home builder's grant... There's a boom. Well, it's not that there's a boom. Demand increases, yeah. supply doesn't increase... Builders still take the same amount of time to build properties that what they've had. They're still hamstrung by lack of supply, lack of skilled labor, all of that sort of stuff. So, they're what, hamstrung. What they're happened? Bottlenecked. What happened? Be the best let's, way. let's look at let's look at where we live, right in the Redlands. What happened in the Redlands when they increased the first home builders grant to like twenty five thousand or thirty thousand or what or what it was? What what happened? Do you remember? I do because I watched it happen because I was in the market. Until they increase that. I really couldn't tell you because when that first happened, I was not even in the market. <laughs> Prices increased oh, on yeah. house and land packages by $100,000 plus overnight. Yeah. 
a five hundred thousand dollar property became six hundred to seven hundred grand. Like it was mental, and so everyone went, "Oh, the builders are cashing in and they're they're making extra profits and all." This. And look, to a point, yeah, they were a little bit, but what the the core economics behind it was is they increase demand without increasing the supply. infrastructure for supply. Yeah. They couldn't. But- meet then, the additional demand, then which meant the prices that, went up. But on top of that, what ends up happening further years down the track? We're seeing it happening now, still in the Redlands. Well, you have a housing affordability crisis, don't you? Well, it's not only just that. Town planning yeah, is it, shit. Exactly. It, like, I mean, to the point where you're just like, why do you put a four-lane intersection with two lanes, one way each way, leading up to said four lanes. Yep. Like, what the hell do you think is going to happen? And then going, oh, it'll be fine, it'll be fine, it'll be fine. And yep. then it's not until 15 years later when everyone's going, it is literally Traffic's chockers. a problem. It's a problem. So that's when they go, ah, oh, we should we really should do, do something, something about that. We've just made it into a political campaign. Who can get stuff through fast enough in order to get this done. And it's just like, no, this should have been part. If you're going to be putting in a new estate, you have to make sure that the roads are able to be... And this... This like, ties in. Stupid. This ties into one of the other key factors in the housing crisis that we have in this country nationwide. Yep. Look, once again, we're focusing on Queensland. We we live in Queensland, so obviously that information is is significantly readily available and thrust in our face. So of course we jump on it. But if if we look at and I dove down into, I went looked at Australian Financial Review. There was a number of articles evaluating things. I looked at PEXA reports, the whole works. And one of the cool, uh, sorry, core fundamental issues that we have that's underpinning this, which ties into the supply problem is the availability of serviceable land right and what or serviced land serviced land and and the reason that that is fundamentally crucial to our supply issue is serviced land is land that has town town water that has roads that has available access to electricity and so on and so forth so that's not in play we have the seventh largest landmass in the world as a country and yet the vast majority of it is either un or under serviced in terms of facilities capability and look a lot of it's arid i get that a lot of it's arid a lot of it's unlivable i get that but there's still a lot of livable land that is off grid yeah and while that appeals to certain people it does not appeal to the mainstream and so we've got to provide better services to those as well well i'm pretty sure that i have told you this when my parents first moved to the redlands this is going back to i think it was 1979 maybe or 1980 that they bought in sheldon on avalon road and when my parents moved in, they bought, well, they bought a block of land. They had, it was built on and it was just past this one play, uh, this one street called Emu Street. And my dad was like, well, I don't want septic. I want town. So he, he forked out to have the town water bought up. Like he went and yep. dug the trench, everything like that. So that the town water could actually get to the house. Yep. He paid for that. Yeah. These days that doesn't you, you happen. Can, well, very, you can't afford to do that. Like yeah. if if you like I think from memory it's somewhere stupid like it's it's 2 grand a meter or something stupid like well, that it to, was, to it, move. It, well, back then I think I think it worked out to be like $30 a meter. So yeah. even back then that was quite a significant and, and amount. And now now it's even it's and even more so. To the point where the guy across the road went cheers for that because now, now I, I can, can get, get it. it. Yeah. So you know and it's just sort of like 
because of how expensive that is, people, when it comes to they, – they're looking for convenience. They don't want extra costs that no. they have to take well, into I mean, consideration. The, co- the costs are so high as it is anyway. Yeah. Right? And and this is, you know, like Which I think, is then built so into if, if the – So if we go back to 1979, we talk about, you know, your parents built that first house. The average house price was four times the yearly wage. Yeah. Right? At, at that, that particular era, I don't know if it was 79 exactly, but that particular generation, yeah. the average house price was four times the yearly wage. It is now up to somewhere in the vicinity of 13 to 17 times yeah, the yearly it, wage. It's pretty ridiculous. Like it's it's getting obscene. And this is this is the the gap and the issue that we're facing because people can't afford to do that as a whole. Like yes there are some people who can yeah. and and kudos to them, but to speaking on on national averages, a lot of people who can't. Yeah. Right? So it becomes a case of well, we can't afford to get the facilities and services that we believe we need. Mm. Um, even if it's just a want, they believe they need it. And the councils aren't preparing for that, right? And and this is the problem. Our politics and our councils are, are very reactive. And to be honest, well, they're also short sighted. It's oh, only yeah. about what they can yeah. achieve in that term. And it's just like, hold on, you should be creating a legacy here. You want yep. people to be talking about you in years to come because that means that it's going to be another term that so you're going to get. I got a, on, on that it. note, I got a question for you because our politicians are reactive. Yeah. There are very few of them are. Oh, it's about right? who's the but popular. But I got kid. a question. I got a question for you on that. A couple of weeks before this announcement on doubling the first home owner grant, mm. the CEO of the REIQ, Antonia Mercarella, yeah. tore the government a new one. <laughs> a little do you pocket th- rocket that she is. Do you think that this doubling of the the first homeowners grant is oh, a, and it was brought to task a by political play to kind of mollify the exposure of the absolute mismanagement of our housing industry? Oh, yeah, but even still, they're looking at it going, we're just going to give more money. And it's like, hold on. It's not going to solve the problem. It's not going to solve the problem. How about just thinking maybe this could be something? How about we actually do something in order to ensure that there's more tradespeople, there's more... uh, And I know know that does take longer, like that's four years and stuff like that. But if there's more tradespeople... This sounds really crazy, but believe it or not, they can help build houses. I know, right? <laughs> do you do you remember when we were in our twenties? I was going through uh, uni at everyone, the time. There was there was man a and huge dog was freaking oh, but there was a huge marketing campaign. As I graduated in nineteen ninety eight from high school, and I was going to uni. I think it would and have been the equivalent of conscription. Wait, well, <laughs> back it, in the day, it was. I wouldn't call it conscription because they were like they they were incentivized. No, but those those types and, and of those, campaigns back when our grandfathers were young, uh, it was like we want you, yeah, and exactly. that's pretty much what it was. But then they incentivized them to go and become tradies, and everything. so they went into these apprenticeships, and there were apprentices out there who are earning more money. Yeah. Than what I was earning in full time work yeah. after I'd dropped out of uni and gone, I'm and you know, a lot of and, the and ones... in management, I was in a management position. Yeah. Right. At one point, I was, I was 23 years old, 24 years old, I think I was. And I was a sales manager mm. and I was earning half what guys who were third and fourth year apprentices were when they added in overtime and everything like I that. I can tell you right and now. Look, I get it. We, we, we're going back to 2003, yeah. 2004, 2005. I can tell you right still. now, the amount of people that I know that I went to school with, primary school with, that are tradies now and are doing quite well because yeah. of it. Yeah. And it's just like they just went, you know, I wasn't that great academically, so I'll just go and do a trade. And you know what? They're, they're the ones that are laughing at the moment. Oh, absolutely. And, and fair play. Like, they've worked hard. But I do... And 
heard it. I and have... I think just on that, before we move off, that opportunity, if you've got a child who is looking at what do they do post-school, this housing crisis in this country is not going to be sorted out for 10, 15, maybe even 20 years, depending on how competent our future governments mm. are. So that means that there is going to be opportunities in housing development and construction for some time to come. Mm-hmm. Um, and and if I was like, you know, obviously our eldest wants to be an engineer and that's great and we're fully supportive of that. He wants to go to uni and be an engineer. He also wants to be a streamer on the side, but hey, look, that's, you know, good everyone's luck to him. Everyone's got a hot side Every, hustle. Everyone's got a side hustle. But our second eldest came to us this weekend and went, hey, I think I'm going to go do a trade. Mm. Go for it. Absolutely. Not enjoying school, not having a good time at school. I think I'm going to go and do an apprenticeship. Go for it. Yeah. And to be honest, he'll probably get to to decent earnings and his own house and all that sort of stuff faster than what the oldest will. Yeah. If, if, you know, he sticks with that apprenticeship and that trade and he's smart with his money. Obviously, you've got to be smart with your money. But so I think there's a massive opportunity that still exists there. And I think that, you know, it's absolutely a, 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 not just a viable, but a career that should be encouraged. The other thing too, though, is even if they do the apprenticeship and they're like, you know what, this was all, (laughs) this is all good and stuff, but I want to go and try something else. They've still got the trade that they can fall back on. Oh, absolutely. And they've got the skills. So, yeah. So, even if they one, go, one of my best mates, Cavey, did that. Yeah. The guy's now, like, in robotics and, and things yeah. like that. Started out, did a, a painting apprenticeship. Yeah. He then moved. He, he went back after a number of years painting, went, you know what? This isn't for me. Went and did, um, I, I want to say an electrical apprenticeship, but I don't think it was that. But he ended up as, like, a network technician running yeah. cabling, designing. Um, like, he ended up working on the NBN and designing connectors and things like that for the NBN where, where they, you know, connect in the box to improve yep. uh, throughput and everything like that. And these days he's working in robotics. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's not, it's no longer a case of what you do out of high school is the career for your, no. the rest of your life. No. Um, so absolutely, I think, I think, you know, we have that skill shortage. I think the, the government across the country needs to get back on that, hey, go do an apprenticeship bandwagon. Uh, because, because the other that thing is too, a path to assisting in solving the housing crisis. Well, the other thing too is that, like, I know people who had done their Sparky apprenticeship, and then when there was the mining boom, they went, "Screw this! I'm not staying around doing residential stuff. I'm going to go <laughs> and work in the mines." Yeah. And so it is things that you can go and do in different areas because you can always come back. Yeah. You can always float between industrial. If, if you've got those skills, you've got those skills for yeah, life. Yeah, exactly. So, and, you know, as far as I just look at it and go, you know what, if you're looking at something where you're like, what the hell do I do with my life now? Yeah. Have a look into it because there is so many different look, apprenticeships out there. Just just on the numbers, just huge. the numbers alone, we have the highest population growth that we've had in 50 years. Yeah. And I really and don't they, think doubling money is really going to do I, I don't think doubling money. Doubling money is just increasing demand. It's not like without solving the supply problem. And so there is a supply problem. Mm. Housing is one of the fundamental needs in this world. Uh, so going into that construction, that trade, that apprenticeship, I think, you know, if, if you're not sure what to do, you're not, if there's not something that's driving you and passionate, like Tom wants to go and build spacecraft, yeah. right? I was never going to go and work in construction because I always wanted to build cool shit in, in the digital world. Mm. That's always been me. It's I don't care if I make a million dollars or I make 10. I, 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 
don't care. I just want to do cool stuff. And yeah. and that's my version of cool stuff. So if you don't have that kind of passion though, if you and you're like, I don't know what to do, go and do a trade. Mm. Go and do an apprenticeship because the the opportunity is there. The supply problem's not going to go away for a long time because they're actually everything they're doing is piling on the demand problem and mm. increasing demand. And there's very little being done to increase supply. Yeah. Um, and that means that there is going to be opportunities in that space for a number of years, if not a number of decades to come. And I think it's it's probably the, a career that's as safe as houses. A, yeah, there's also a hell of a lot of um, like people out there who started out doing apprenticeships and are now, you know, one that comes to mind was actually John Farnham. He started out as a um, chippy. Yeah. Um, or a plumber, something like that. A working class man. Yeah. Um, and, you know went from there. There was a lot of footballers, NRL footballers back in the early 80s that they had to have a second job in order to well, be able to play. they weren't getting paid. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Look, I think so there's many a people who started out doing, and because they also knew that their football career wasn't going to be forever, that they needed to be able to fall back yeah. onto something else. And I'm pretty sure that that is still in place where they say, in order for you to do this, you have to understand that this is, even though it, you may have a short career where it's only you know three years and you end up having a massive injury where you can't play anymore, you need to be able to fall back onto something else. So yep, absolutely. You know, like, but you know, you know what I'd also be looking at at this point. What I'd be getting upskilled and learning as much as I could about three D construction printing. Well, we're going to be talking about in our next one. Aren't yeah, we? that's yeah. that's our next episode. We've but we've been we've gone down the rabbit hole on three D construction printing, and there's some cool stuff there. So stay tuned for the next step. Um, we look. We may have discovered one of the solutions to the Australian housing crisis, but as I say, next step. So tune in next week. Uh, So I I genuinely believe that we need to put more pressure on our politics around the nation, state and federal, about going, look, guys, that's all cute and everything about giving us more money. Fix the supply problem. But we need supply to be corrected. And and we need we need to be really smart about this because what will what has happened in the past, whenever we've we've put pressure on the housing crisis as a population, they've thrown money at the problem in the form of first home buyer grants, first home buyer builder grants, renovation grants, all this sort of stuff. And that's great. But it has not increased supply. Yeah. It has, like, if we look back and we go, you know, there was a time we were building 200,000 properties a year. And despite all of these grants, we're still sitting here building 120 to 130, the same numbers we were building in the 1980s and the 1970s, right? Clearly, throwing money at the problem is not working in the sense of throwing it as grants, first home buyer grants. And I don't don't want to take away from first home buyers. I want them to have the opportunity. Yeah. But this, for me, Reeks is a political stunt because they know it's been announced. The it's, CEO, the the peak body for real estate, turned around and said, "We're coming for you on the topic of the housing crisis yeah. for the next election." The next election in Queensland is is mid twenty twenty four, so they're coming on this, and it's an early. Hey, look, we're going to do lovely things and make everyone feel warm and fuzzy, but let's stop feeling warm and fuzzy. I, let's look at the guts of what they're offering I, and understand that more money to home like potential home builders home buyers if you're giving them greater grants it's going to increase supply, uh, increase demand, demand. Yeah. without solving the supply problem and the core fundamental issue that we have to address to truly navigate our way out of the housing crisis 
is the supply issue. Yeah. We have to get more houses. So every solution a politician offers you over the next couple of years, because it's going to happen nationwide, Queensland is just going to be the first domino to fall, analyze that solution and ask, is this going to increase supply? And if you see your local member or anyone walking around that are doing, hey, let me kiss your baby, maybe go and say to them, what are you going to be doing? What's your stance on uh, how you're going to rectify the supply supply problem? Like, don't I, I don't want you kissing my baby and promising me the world if you can't even do the basic thing yeah. to ensure that I have a house. And and as a basic rule, giving people more money to go and buy a house. Yeah. One don't get me wrong. I that's love great. it. That's great. But that only makes the demand problem worse because it increases the demand without increasing the supply. Exactly. So we've got to address the supply issue and that has to be the pressure that we apply is it on, on our politicians nationwide, address the supply issue. Yeah. Don't increase demand. Yeah. Address supply. Yeah, exactly. All right. Shall we jump into the JTM? Let's do it. Okay. Let's see which rabbit holes we're going. Right, making chili salts at home. Meta sprinkles and death dust. <laughs> Look, I I don't have a problem with eating it. I know that there's other people out there that are just like, okay, this is where I turn off because I don't like chili. And I like chili. And those those who do like chili, like so. About eighteen months ago, uh, someone in one of the chili group chili growers groups that I'm in was like, I've got so much chilies in the bottom of my freezer. I need to do a clear out. Does anybody want them? I'm not going to be able to use them and go through them. And I put my hand up, said, hey, I'll take whatever you're happy to give me. I ended up with 15 kilos or 14, 14.7 kilos of the uh, like a, a cornucopia of chilies, including like a dozen plus of the hottest chilies in the world. We're talking Carolina Reapers. We're talking um, Habaneros. We're talking everything in between. There were Trinidad Scorpions, the whole works. And for a lot of people, I may be talking, you know, they might be going, what the hell are those? You're talking a lot of Hocus Pocus. Exactly. But up until up until recently, the Carolina Reaper was the uh, Guinness World Record holder for the hottest chili in the world based on the Scoville uh, rating. That just got taken over. I can't remember the name of the chili, but... I actually got my hands on a couple of these chilies earlier in the piece before it was officially raided, and they were just being called Podex at the time. Um, but so I took all of these chilies, and I also then went and bought, um, I think I bought about eight kilos of, uh, of Vietnamese bird's eye chilies as well, mm. and defrosted them all, smoked them in the smoker, and then dehydrated them, and then powdered them, and turned them into, into a powder. And the idea for doing this was so that I could then go and create chili salts that you could sprinkle on whatever meal you like, and it would add a nice bit of kick, but it also needed to add flavor. So we wanted heat, but we wanted flavor. Yeah. And I've created 
a whole heap of different ones. Like there's there's um, the Spicy Sailor, which I made specifically for chicken and fish. That's not as popular. Uh, there was Five Chili Death Punch, which was one of the, the first ones I had uh, that I did that everybody seemed to like. Um, and that had, it had Reaper in it. It had Scotch Bonnet. It had Purple UFOs. It had uh, Pineapple Argies and uh, Ghostly Jalapenos. So a crossbreed between Ghost Peppers and, and Jalapenos. Um, and that was quite tasty. But then it, it sort of got to a point where we kind of wanted to scale up a bit and we wanted really, really good flavor. But we also wanted a bit more heat. So I started using some of this this chili powder that I'd, I'd got that had, you know, the hottest chilies in the world in amongst it. And I created murder sprinkles. And murder sprinkles is insanely tasty it's got a perfect balance between heat and and flavor and it's really moorish which is quite dangerous because if you have too much of this like it's it's a case of one sprinkles good two sprinkles good three sprinkles good four sprinkles you're dead like it it just yeah. it it multiplies um but there was a lot of lessons learned along the way so i will also talk about death dust at some point too but I think the first thing you're going to need, you're going to want some gloves. You're going to want some latex gloves because you you don't want to be uh, handling chili salts and chili powders and even even fresh chilies and getting that on your fingers and forgetting you've got it on your fingers and rubbing Bernie, your eyes. Bernie, 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 hot, uh, hot nuts, Bernie. Or answering, answering the call of nature with chili salts on your fingers. That, that's unpleasant. Um, you'll need a blender. Smoker always helps, but if you don't want to smoke, I, I like smoking them. I feel it gives a, a greater Dehydra- depth of flavor. Yeah, if you, but a dehydrator yeah, will work. Dehydrator, just in case you can't yeah. do the, the smoking. You want some open air spaces or a dehydrator <laughs> in a space where there's not a lot of lot of air movement and I windows. will say, do not go, I'll put it in the laundry. Didn't your dad do that? No. No, all I'm saying is that it is potent enough that you put it in your laundry and everything will burn. Yeah, fair enough. Your fair enough. Bed sheets will burn. Yep. Your bits will burn. <laughs> <laughs> everything will burn and you will be going, "Why why is everything burning at the moment? I feel like my skin is on fire and it will be that stuff, okay, my dad... It'll be the capsaicin in the, the chili cap- that's going yeah. into the air and landing on everything. So my dad would purposely go and um, ferment chilies and he would put them outside in a jar in the sun. You could walk past and just be like, oh, my eyes, like, what is yeah. going on? And just smelling. And this was in an airtight container, yep. a glass container that you walk past and you were just like, oh, my Jesus Christ, what is going on? And then it's like, hold on, freaking hell. And it was, think of, you know, <laughs> where he had them, right? Think of the never-ending story where, he, where a trail had to go through that one part 
and he was on this horse and they had the the sphinx things that would go down and right. shoot people okay right it was like because of where he had them you had to walk through you had and to the walk level through of the, alley the level that they were at was in line with your eyes so you walk through and you were just like jesus like and <laughs> yeah and, and look i think to make sure you've got a mask yeah. The number of times that I have but caused even then, myself that's not no, but the, and that's it. Like, but the number of times I've caused myself respiratory distress because I'm working with the chilies without you a mask. You'd be working in the kitchen. I would be sitting in the lounge room, and all I it would just be like, oh yeah, he's doing his yeah. thing, and then all of a sudden it would just be like, <coughs> okay, right, it's got me, yep. and yep. so yeah, it's um. So so take no your precautions. One no one is safe. <laughs> take, understand that. Take your precautions. But once you know, as you adjust for that, yeah, it actually is really really simple to make your own delicious chili oh, yeah. salts. Um, I like to use rock salt as a base. Like I'll just get the sacks of rock salt. You can get Himalayan, Himalayan pink rock salt, whatever, Himalayan. whatever you, yeah, Himalayan, <laughs> whatever, whatever you want to get. But you get get rock salt and you know however much chili that you want to put in, and then mix it with your various different herbs and spices. The one thing I will also um, say is when you make your own concoction and mix and whatever you decide is going to be your flavor, uh, please write it down. Make note because the amount of times where he's like, hmm, that was really good, but I can't remember what I put in it or I can't remember the amounts that I put in it. Did I put this or didn't I put this? I'm a so, mad alchemist in the kitchen. I'm just like, yeah, yeah but there's a bit of that. Yeah, well, a bit of that. Right. That tastes good. And then it's like, hold on, what did you do? So he's <laughs> only just now in probably the last, I would say, nine months going, you know what? I, I need, need to write this I down. I need to write I, and, this and down. I made murder sprinkles six times before I actually wrote down the recipe. Yeah. And murder sprinkles is the one that everyone's like, dude, you need to sell this. This is incredible. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so, look, I, I start with rock salt. Um, you know, obviously garlic's awesome. Onion powder. We don't use onion powder in our household because of allergies, but onion powder brings a lot of flavor. I like to use garlic granules. Uh, the garlic granules because they'll grind up with the rock salt at the same time, and mm. so you'll get that that nice consistency. Um, but you can you can really just mix and match. You know, there's there's a lot of things that go well. Smoked paprika goes well with it. Cinnamon actually, like just the right amount of cinnamon will, will add a nice little mix to it. Mustard seeds, sage, thyme, well, the other rosemary. Thing too is that if you don't like cinnamon, because some people don't, cardamom like pods. You can use nutmeg. Yep, nutmeg, allspice, all, all of that stuff. Like. Just find the concoction. Have a play. Start with small amounts. Have a play. Figure out your taste, and and you'll have a blast with it. Um, take absolute precautions when it comes to dealing with reapers and and pot X, like whatever the I can't remember the name of it now, but the the hottest chili in the world. Use gloves. Use your face mask. Because when you mix reaper powder and pot X powder, you create something I like to call death dust. And the name of it started out as a joke. It was me being a cheeky shit. But it nearly killed somebody. It, it was enter at your own risk. It was enter. Look, absolutely. So so the story goes, I was making jerky for uh, some clients and, and some real estate mates. And these guys fancied themselves as chili aficionados and, and all the rest of it. And so they literally gave me the instruction to try and kill them. And I went, are you serious? Because I can make something so hot that it will literally strip your intestines like it's turpentine. And they're like, yeah, go for it. We can handle it. It'll you know. be fine. 
one, one of them was like, my wife's Thai. I can handle heat. You know, all this sort of stuff, right? And it was like, oh, you're cute. <laughs> you're cute. So I went, all right. And I made this jerky marinade that was so thick with chili, it was basically like sludge. And yeah, didn't it end up like stuffing up your plastic gloves? Oh yeah, absolutely. So as I'm as I'm putting uh, the the jerky strips onto you know steaks and to hang them in the smoker, it melted through my gloves. Like it was that hot, it melted through my gloves. But I didn't stop there. Once I had smoked it, I pulled it out and I gave it a sprinkle of five chili death punch, and then I stuck it into uh, the the dehydrator to finish the drying process. After it came out of the dehydrator, I then put it into bags where it would be vacuum sealed. But before I vacuum sealed it, I then sprinkled in death dust, shook it up, and then vac sealed. That put me into respiratory distress and and like I was in coughing fits for 10, 15 minutes at a time. That was, uh, it got scary at times there. I wasn't the one that nearly killed though. I survived that. So we send it down to our good mate, Sam Dolby. Mm -hmm. And on the outside of the package... I write by way of disclaimer, have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? You probably should because you're about to meet him. Mm. Sam's filmed live and, and taken a bite and gone, that's eh, not bad, could use a bit more death. To oh, shit, there it is. And that's hit him. And he started sweating, face gone red, all of that sort of stuff. And then switches off the live, sends back, goes, that's the goods. That's awesome, you've nailed it. Sam's fine. He's not the victim. Two weeks later, I get a photo of this random guy I've never met before in my DMs, shirtless. And he's got a scar that runs from here to here with surgical stitching over it. Like this thing is 12 inches long, right? And I'm going, what the hell? Who is this person? What the hell? <laughs> Why Sam? am I getting a topless picture of them? Exactly. <laughs> Sam had taken the jerky to work, right? Now, I called this jerky FU without the abbreviations uh, because it was so hot it required me to create a disclaimer and I hate doing paperwork and you made me do paperwork, so FU. And so Sam had taken this to work and had shared it with one of his mates at work and they had loved it. The problem was <laughs> this guy had apparently an underlying gallbladder issue, which was triggered by the chili, ended up in hospital for emergency surgery to remove his gallbladder. Um, yes. So be careful when playing with death Look, dust. all you have to do is just, when you do make it, just make sure that when you do hand it out to people that you, you give go, them fair warning, you give them fair warning and yep. go, you take this on, you take it's it on at like, your own risk. You need to understand that, you know, if you have any underlying issues that this can potentially flare them up. Yep. And our look, chili is amazing. It's amazing for your health. It's amazing for your metabolism. Yeah, but at the but same time, at it, certain levels, that's right. like anything you go to excess and it, and it flips that around. That's right. Um, so yeah, it, it, my, my jerky nearly killed the bloke yeah. um, with death dust. So uh, now I just stick to making murder sprinkles. Yeah. Because uh, that one, that one everyone gets to choose their own adventure. They get to choose how many sprinkles that they, they put on. Yeah. And, and it's entirely their own fault. <laughs> <laughs> but look, grab, grab yourself. You just need a blender. A dehydrator will help um, if, unless you can get some chili powders that's already been dehydrated. Yeah. Um, and then you just throw everything into the blender. You blend it up to the consistency you want. And stick it in a 
and a spice shaker and away you go. Yeah. Um, we, we use murder sprinkles on, in fact, I made bacon jerky last night. So I literally just cheated and took bacon and stuck it in the dehydrator to dry it out and sprinkled some of it with murder sprinkles and it's amazing. Yeah. It's incredible. Yep. yep, yep, yep so yep. there you go. Make some chili salts at home. Have some fun. Mm-hmm. And on that note, have a awesome time. Weekend, whatever. Tune in next week for 3D printing and how it may just solve the housing crisis in Australia. Exactly. Addressing that supply issue. Who would have thunk it? Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs>